0: Welcome to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes that they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. 30 years is a long time. Stephen Shipper took the reins of the Royal Manitoba Theatre Centre as their artistic director back in 1989 and has announced his retirement following the 2018-2019 season.
1: It's been an opportunity to meet many interesting people and travel to many interesting places and- You know, the art form itself is a beautiful thing. It Mm -hmm. shares truths, it shares stories, and through those stories we create a more loving, peaceful world.
0: Stephen is a thoughtful and measured man, and
1: though we started talking about the legacy of Royal MTC under
0: his leadership and how that evolved, the conversation led to the value of art and and artistry to society and, and sort of the power of theater to change lives, and even the time that he directed Keanu Reeves back in 1995. My conversation with Stephen further cemented his credentials as a master storyteller, and it's an honor to have him on the Because and Effect podcast.
1: I believe scientifically that audiences and artists coming together in theaters to share in the act of imagining builds bridges between people based on what we all have in common. We talked about a career helping to build the theater community in
0: Winnipeg, true artistic collaboration, and the quality and balance that Stephen and Royal MTC have strived towards for decades. Stephen Shipper, Artistic Director of Royal Manitoba Theatre Center, thank you for being on the podcast. We thank really
1: appreciate it. Thank you, Nolan, it's a great honor, p- pleasure.
0: So 30 years in the role of Artistic Director, how does it feel to kind of be uh, taking your final bow
1: with RMTC as it, as it were? The strongest feeling is one of gratitude For all the opportunities I've been given and secondarily I'm admittedly somewhat sentimental through the days I feel oh this might be the last time I'll ever do Uh, the meet-and-greet in the rehearsal hall oh this might be the last time I'll ever speak with a director about the play before opening and talk about how we can enhance the production oh this might be the last time And there's just an endless list of sentimental, oh, this might be the last time.
0: Well, it's good that you're able to have that foresight and and see, because then you
1: can probably enjoy them that much more. I actually uh, feel as though they were always very special and uh, never took them for granted. But um, I do recognize uh, that this particular work is coming to an end mm-hmm
0: so you've probably done this already in on your own but can you reflect on the last 30 years and give me some highlights give me some stories of moments that you remember that you're like whoa, oh, that was a pretty special little experience
1: the first that comes to mind and forgive me for its lack of humility is I was in a position to help one of our actors who was sick and help their family get to them and in my own small way, help that actor recover. So it wasn't even a performance or a or an actual professional moment, but more of a personal connection then? It was because I was artistic director at Royal MTC and the actor, <coughs> excuse me, was an actor in our employ, so it, it felt very much uh, a professional moment, but I'll never forget that.
0: That's a connection, it's almost like a fa- that's you're doing something for a family member at that point.
1: I was there, at the time, it was just an opportunity. I was given this opportunity to be of help, and much thanks, I, I was able to seize it, and um, I would get you know more specific, but I don't know about privacy issues. No worries, yeah, no,
0: it's completely understandable. What about some uh, some plays or some performances that you look back on and, and Sure, think?
1: I mean, I guess uh, other highlights that come to mind that aren't plays, are uh, having helped our organization develop a really healthy board-staff relationship. Uh, I can't say that we had one when I was the (laughs) associate artistic director, but thanks to uh, the board chairs that I worked with when I was appointed, uh, they accepted the fact that we had this issue, and they led the process of us healing or cleaning all the skeletons out of our closets. And there was one particularly strong chair who got it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's only possible for that to happen if the trustees want it to happen. It's peer-to-peer that they have to work. And so we owe them a great debt uh, for their clarity of vision and their humility in basically cleaning up what was unfortunately uh, the case at the time and ever since then, and that's going back 30 years now, we've had the most beautiful, uh, candid, uh, mutually respectful relationship that I think is the envy of any Mm not-for-profit organization. We're uh, a great team. We we recognize that the board leads in terms of strategic vision and long-term vision and the board recognizes that the staff lead on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. and also in strategic matters. So mm-hmm. um, that you know will never be spoken of other than my <laughs> lack of humility now, <laughs> but um, I'm very proud of having been a part of that. And then, of course, uh, the endowment fund, which never would have happened without many of the trustees, especially Gail Asper, uh, but it's something that from the first board meeting when I was artistic director, I would end every one of my reports to the board with the question, when is the best time to plant an oak tree? Uh, The answer is 20 years ago. When's the second best time? And the answer is right now. And this is our time to establish an endowment fund. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, that was 11 years, of saying that at every single (laughs) board meeting before... They finally got it, though. Well, no, actually, uh, our board said, you know, let's let's hire, uh, and uh, again, I'm not sure, uh, I'll give them a plug, let's hire uh, Ketchum Canada, which is a consultant Mm. company for for this kind of thing. Let's do um, a feasibility study. Is there an appetite for an endowment fund? And the answer came back, no. Hmm. Everyone we spoke to said no. Like speaking Uh, to
0: your members? Exactly, yeah, Yeah.
1: constituents, um, stakeholders, I mean. And when we heard uh, no, we also heard, but we would support a capital campaign. Hmm. So again, with Gail Asper's help, we strategized that we would actually have a capital campaign followed immediately by an endowment campaign and go back to some of the same people having built the relationships during the capital campaign. And that's what we did. So we had a very successful capital campaign chaired by Gail and Hartley Richardson, and immediately uh, went on to this incredibly successful endowment campaign chaired by Gail and Maureen Watchhorn, uh, which raised $10 million. And now that fund sits at $20 million. And provides the operating budget of MTC with a much needed close to a million dollars each year. Well, it's all about
0: getting the board and the staff, everyone on the same page, right? Like that's kind of the the job of an artistic director and a job of a director when it comes to a play. You want to make sure everyone's on the same page working towards the same goal.
1: For sure. Uh, It's important to be clear about what direction we're all heading in. Mm -hmm. It's also important to have open and candid conversations about the options for which direction we're taking so that there isn't a kind of dictatorial uh, aspect to it. Mm -hmm. It's not only about uh, setting it for everyone. It's about hearing all of the options. And like we, as we like to say in the theater, the best idea in the room prevails. Mm. So as a director, I'm often uh, repeating that on the first day to ensure that everyone knows the ideas can come from anyone. Mm -hmm. And the ideas can come from the actors, the stage managers, the maintenance crew. In our theater operations, it can come from box office, it can come from front of house, it can come from marketing, it can come from anyone. And it is true that as the director or as the artistic director, it's my responsibility to choose and to finally make a decision about which direction we're going to go in but it hardly ever was one that i thought of <laughs> it seems like the,
0: well it seems like the best art is when true collaboration can take
1: place you know totally nolan that's that's the key it's we in the theater are uh in a truly genuinely collaborative art form when
0: you're open completely open to it and no ego like egos left at the door a little bit
1: please and thank you
0: yeah for sure. Can you give me some uh, moments where that happened and like some career highlights where everything just came together and the play was perfect and uh
1: I, I can't think of a play that it didn't happen Oh, there you go. In. um I guess if you set
0: I, if you set that expectation right at the start that everyone working here has to have that that same yeah goal in mind.
1: Yeah, I, I can think of an off-stage moment that was instrumental um when I arrived there was, unfortunately, a pattern of us hiring uh, mostly out-of-town actors. Mm. And we held a town hall meeting, maybe in the first weeks of my tenure, and one of the actors said, you know, part of the problem is directors hire people that they know, Mm -hmm. and the out-of-town directors don't know us. So we said from that moment on, and let's remember... One of the reasons I got the job was because they let the previous artistic director, who was a great guy, Rick McNair, go because unfortunately we had incurred uh, a very large deficit one year, and as often happens in hockey and in theater, you fire the coach, so they hired the assistant, or in this case the associate. Anyway, um, we didn't have a lot of money is the point of Mm -hmm. that little tangent. But still, we said, okay, from now on, every out-of-town director has to come to Winnipeg and audition the local community first. And if we can find someone here, we will cast someone here. And only if we can't, will we look to the rest of Canada. And only if we can't, the rest of Canada will look to the world. So from that time to now, we've moved from approximately less than 10% of the actors from Winnipeg being hired in our shows to now over 60%, and sometimes wow. it's 80%, and sometimes yeah. it's the entire cast. And they're getting those jobs on their own. There isn't a quota where we say you have to hire from Winnipeg. Just they're give auditioning, them a give they're them a competing. Chance. Exactly. Yeah. And that came from an actor. That didn't come from us, that came from an actor.
0: How does that help with the cohesion on a show when people, it, you're almost like, creating a little microcosm of a community, right? So how does that help when everyone's kind of cut from the same cloth and from the maybe same neighborhoods or whatever? Does that increase or decrease the the show?
1: There are many um, companies, theater companies that work with companies and the actors therein get very familiar with each other Mm -hmm. and there's a great deal of trust that happens but I think it's healthy that that isn't the case at our theater that companies form for the show Mm-hmm. And each play has often a different group of actors, and they're going to bond uh, if the director's the right director mm-hmm. and if the stage manager's the right stage manager and there's no um, evil in, <laughs> in in you know the acting company. Then they're going to bond naturally and form that cohesive company right. you're talking about.
0: It's kind of so. Is there a sort of like sticking with the hockey analogy? You know, line mates get sort of chemistry together. Yes. So. That's very important with actors as well, I would assume.
1: Absolutely. And uh, the most generous actors are the best actors. And they're the ones who are constantly looking out for their fellow actors and, in a sense, with the hockey analogy, passing the puck. Right. I've heard that a lot when it comes
0: to acting, like being a generous actor. Can you break that down for me a little bit? Sure. Uh, uh,
1: An ungenerous actor, uh, me, 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 it's all about me is either intentionally stealing focus, so I'll give you a, a funny story about that one, but I'll just finish the thought, or um, standing upstage, which is uh, away from the audience, uh, behind the back of a fellow actor, um, and our eyes will naturally go to that person. Right. Uh, or, you know, the one of the worst... Uh, Mistakes an actor can make in terms of a lack of generosity often is throughout the rehearsal process mm. not giving the other actor a sense of the performance they're about to give when uh-huh. there's a paying audience in front of them. And then you get surprised they hold, on, on exactly. opening yeah. night. Yeah. yeah, they're holding up. Well, oh, you back. didn't do this before? That's right. right. Okay. Well, you know, yeah, yeah. I don't get a chance to rehearse with yeah. that. Right. Uh, but the funny story I'll tell you briefly Please. is um, I directed a play in Montreal and i thought i had a wonderful team of actors <laughs> <laughs> until uh at one moment in the play another actor standing on the opposite side of the stage while their fellow actor was on the opposite side of the stage giving a very important monologue this actor pulled out a white handkerchief that i had never seen before in rehearsal and began mopping his brow throughout the entire speech of that other actor. So tell me that's anyway. Yeah. Um, An example that, of a that, little that, bit. I, that's the only one I can think of. That's very yeah
0: odd. Do you have any stories about, I read last night doing a little bit more research on, on you and your career, uh, about Keanu Reeves coming in to Winnipeg in 95. Do you have any stories about that when he sure. played Hamlet
1: for you? What a gentleman. Um, so first of all, When we asked him, that was prior to Speed coming out. And we met uh, in Venice Beach uh, at lunch. And the idea was to help a teacher slash director that he had known. Um, And if he played the part, I was going to get a lot of publicity for the director. And we agreed uh, and he agreed. And he said, OK, but like how much notice do I need to give you in case I have to drop out? And I said, Keanu, just say no now. No problem. Yes. No is an acceptable answer. But if we promise you to our audience, then you can't drop out. And he looked at me, and I could see in his eyes, okay, if that's who you are, I'm with you. Mm. And so he said yes, about a the month dedication later. dedication to the audience. Yeah, to keeping yeah. your word. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a month later, he signed that scale, And then Speed came out in June. That was in February. Speed came out in June. And that changed everything. All of a sudden, the world knew who Keanu Reeves was. He became a superstar. Yeah. When I came back uh, in January and said that I had met him and then shared with the board that we had signed him, they asked, you know, humbly, who is he? So I had to bring in all of his, uh, at that time, there were videos. Uh, Tapes of his movies And so he really wasn't known But speed changed everything And then to finish the story uh, He ended up getting a six million dollar offer To be in Heat Okay Uh, I think it was the Val Kilmer role And he turned it down He was gonna keep his word uh, Make You know I guess it's fair to It's okay to share You know a thousand dollars a week Wow (laughs) Being an actor at Royal MTC Uh, And turned down that movie because he kept his word. Amazing. Do you remember anything about his performance that stood out? I remember that it was the first Hamlet, and I'd seen many, that I didn't fall asleep. Okay, that's a good (laughs) review. And that I cried at the end. Wow. That uh, here was a young Hamlet who was tragically, uh, his life was snuffed out at too early a stage. And he, and he was tremendous in the mm-hmm. role. I mean, he was a little nervous on opening night, but uh, the London Times, London Sunday Times, uh, said he was one of the all time great Hamlets. Unreal.
0: Fantastic. So, obviously, the arts is a cause that you care about. Do you, Have you always cared about it,
1: or did it. No, I, I came quite late. I yeah, was okay. a 17 year old studying at McGill, a different subject, physics, believe it or not. Really? And on a lark, I wanted to take a break. From the library, and went to audition for a Midsummer Night's Dream, and that process convinced me that I had found my calling. Which wow. I think I had been changing what I thought I fa- when I found my calling each month. But when I came home and told my parents it was the theater, they cried mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> were so vehemently against it that I think I spent the next two years trying to prove them wrong. And by that time, I was blessedly stuck. And so I have no regrets. Um, wow. It's been a opportunity to meet many interesting people and travel to many interesting places. And, you know, the art form itself is a beautiful thing. It mm-hmm. shares truths. It shares stories. And through those stories, we create a more loving, peaceful world. Aside from the experiences and the travel, what has the arts
0: given you and your family?
1: And aside from a livelihood? Yeah.
0: Maybe more philosophically.
1: Well, I didn't know how powerful stories were before I became involved. And even as I became involved, I really learned over the decades just how powerful stories are. And when you think about it now, in hindsight, you know, the biblical stories, why are they so Powerful well they're great narratives, and it's stories that seem to be able to transform people to have an experience that changes either the way we think or the way we feel and and have a have a lasting effect so as I've uh, learned um, and I didn't know I thought I was going to, you know, entertain and, mm-hmm. and work with other people in a fun um, art form, and that's all true, but I, uh, I believe scientifically that audiences and artists coming together in theaters to share in the act of imagining builds bridges between people based on what we all have in common.
0: And that's the strength of a well-written narrative or a well-written, well-written play, too coming to life, how you talked about the audience a little bit. How have audiences changed since you were back then, 17, 18, 19, to, to now? Have you seen an evolution or how they understand narratives?
1: I've seen ours uh, become more enthusiastic. Hmm. Um, you know, we have a, a, a storied history. We have a glorious past. But at the time, uh, we were somewhat inconsistent in our artistry. and We
0: being RMTC? Uh, or? Yes. Oh, okay.
1: And so um, one of the three platforms upon uh, arrival was to improve the consistency of our work. Mm. And um, instead of kind of sitting on our hands, I mean our, because I'm also a member of the audience, and uh, saying, show me, our audiences have since uh, come much more enthusiastically and, uh, almost assured of, uh, quality ah, experience. There's an and expectation there then. Now we're, um, now we're, we're meeting each other halfway. Interesting.
0: Do you think that's just because over the years you've helped educate on what quality theater
1: is? Not me personally, but I think over the years the, um, quality has been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was there, I'm sure at our founding and it was there, as I said, uh, During my predecessor's time, it just wasn't always there. Mm. And so audiences are naturally, um, not skeptical, but um, Mm. naturally, what's the Winnipeg? (laughs) uh, You know, Les Mis, for example, back in 89, when it first came to Winnipeg, uh, the Mervishes who produced it shared with us that Winnipeg was the second most difficult pre sell in North America. Only Detroit, which was a notorious paycheck town where you got your paycheck on Thursday and didn't decide how to spend it until then, only Detroit didn't sell as well before it opened. Winnipeg didn't respond to the full page ads, didn't respond to all the hype that we basically say, you know, let us see it for ourselves, and then we'll decide. And as is typical in Winnipeg, the moment it opened and the word of mouth hit, this show sold out in minutes. It's almost like
0: we only trust each other. We don't trust someone telling us what's going to be good, right? That's exactly right. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Huh.
0: So aside from buying tickets and kind of going to shows, how would you hope and recommend that people support the arts in their community that's
1: a great question so more than anything and this might come back to your question about how audiences have changed uh, winnipeggers have always been extraordinarily generous and as you know we have the highest per capita uh donor Mm -hmm. and also volunteer community Mm -hmm. but i think to a certain extent that may be diminishing and i would urge all parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts to bring young people to the theater early it's, too. it's only when one sees either the theater or the ballet or music at a teenage time early it can be earlier of course but it's as teenagers that we become lifelong mm. audience members and It's a great conversation afterwards. It's much better than what did you do at school today or what did you do at work today if you're going with your spouse. And we don't necessarily need more artists. I think people will become artists because they have to because there's no other reason to become one. It's so full of rejection if you want to be an actor. (laughs) My advice is you know find anything else that you can do and only if you can't do anything else if you must be an actor that makes sense then you must be an actor but I really hope we can continue to develop audiences otherwise we're going to become an art form that is arcane
0: Mm.
1: which is known and understood by the very few right
0: when you think about a teen, you know. They say that when you're the teenager, the music you listen to at that era is what you listen to yes, for the rest yes. of your life. The 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 art that you consume is what you kind of become enamored with. So, what was your uh, what was your era from that from Shakespeare? That time? Shakespeare. <coughs> Shakespeare. Okay.
1: The first play of McGill was A Midsummer Night's Dream, and uh, I found uh, his writing to be of uh, biblical importance. And um, still to this day, it's it's magical. Unfortunately, often uh, of Shakespeare plays, uh, the actors are the ones who are enjoying it the most. <laughs> ah. It's uh, possible that it isn't um, as well understood as it ought to be, but the best productions of Shakespeare, uh, I think the audiences enjoy it as much or, or more. And we're going to have a great one, if I may plug. Please. Please. Um, in our upcoming season. It's a version of As You Like It that incorporates 26, 25 Beatles songs. Oh, cool. And uh, it is cool. I'm sure it's gonna be a worldwide hit. It's um, something I saw in Vancouver, Daryl Cloran, the director, conceived of it. And um, the next iteration of this version is at Royal MTC. Awesome.
0: So we talked about 30 years ago. We talked about kind of audiences now. How do you see the trend of audience knowledge, and where do you see theater going in the next thirty years?
1: I see it as very vibrant uh, as um, I see young people with uh technology at mm. their fingertips, and uh, it's all good. I don't think um, it should stay in a kind of museum box uh, you know it could be Shakespeare, it could be uh, an original new work um, they're all being. Transformed and uh, rethought through the lens of fresh eyes, mm-hmm. and it's um, uh, a living, breathing art form. Uh, you know, film can change as well, but once uh, a movie's made and it's already on film, it's not going to mm-hmm. change, it's always going to be there exactly the same. Whereas a play, over the course of its run, mm-hmm. will grow thanks to the audience and thanks to uh, the artists continuing to grow it's kind of a living breathing art form as it were exactly that so
0: we're going to talk about some big concepts the word legacy gets thrown around a lot especially in my work and we we hear it quite quite a bit but when it comes to theater in general and rmtc what do you what do you hope your legacy is
1: well it's going to be whatever Anybody else thinks it is? I mean, I, I know the question is, what do I hope it is? So I'll uh, answer, I hope it's um, reflective of the two values we were always striving for, which is quality and balance. Hmm. So we looked for quality in the scripts we chose, but also very much in the people Uh, And those people, like I said, weren't only the people we saw on stage, but in every facet of our organization, including our audience. And balance refers not only to the wide variety of plays we present, but also financial stability and, in general, uh, giving equal um, prioritization to both Artists and audiences. The mm-hmm. key uh, for us was is that we don't prioritize one over the other. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not more interested in artists, nor are we market driven and more interested in audiences. We think if they're exactly at fifty percent each, hmm. uh, that's the most beautiful, again, vital, vibrant sort of relationship we do say artists and audiences in that order because we think it's important for artists to lead ah. just like in a dance somebody's got a a two-hander dance anyway yeah. somebody ought to lead and we think artists ought to lead but uh, equal and um both uh of equal value mm-hmm. is is
0: no, that's a be- beautiful answer and a great philosophy for for MTC. Thank you. Um, you still obviously have a lot of, to offer as far as experience is concerned. So, what's what's next for you and your family, professionally, personally? Where do you see the next kind of five, ten years going
1: for you? Thanks. Uh, I've um, again uh, been so blessed to be here at Royal MTC for many years, and I was always worried about being the guy who stayed too long. <laughs> And um, I hope that wasn't the case. And I'm, again, very grateful for the time that I've had. And I know that whatever I do next uh, will be a denouement of some kind. (coughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, This is definitely will always be the professional highlight of my life. But I have been offered a wonderful opportunity to work with the city of Brampton. I'll be the executive artistic director for oh, cool. the city and help their team manage uh, their five different venues. And oh, great. Brampton is a... Ontario we're talking? Brampton, oh, Ontario. Awesome. Very it's, cool. it's a very um, um, fast growing, uh, largely uh, South Asian community, mm-hmm. uh, tremendous diversity and, they have a great master culture plan, which is one of the reasons I was attracted to the work, and I'm uh, grateful that they thought I might be a good fit, and it's not coincidental that our first grandchild uh, is only 45 minutes away in Toronto, oh, so very nice! we'll have the opportunity to Fantastic. visit her.
0: Well, good luck with that. Thank you for uh, agreeing to be on this podcast. At the end of our conversation, we do a little thing called Just Because, where we're going to ask you seven quick questions. I want you to kind of give your answers as you would, and, and we'll go from there. Are you okay with that? Thank you. Sounds good. Okay. Question number one. What is the first cause that you remember caring about?
1: As the child of Holocaust survivors, the first cause I remember caring about was the Fight against anti Semitism. Mm-hmm. If money,
0: politics, and logistics were no issue at all, what's the first thing you would do in support of your cause?
1: I would teach every child that anti Semitism is evil and people who hate Jews are evil bigots, and I'd continue teaching that truth for generations until there were no more anti Semites.
0: Great idea. What is the biggest misunderstanding or stigma around that particular cause?
1: I would teach every child that there's no easy root cause to blame anti-Semitism on, like slavery. The origins of anti-Semitism lie in the distant past. The earliest example may be the biblical pharaoh turning on the Jewish inhabitants of Egypt. Jews encompass race, religion, and culture. And anti-Semitism also encompasses racism, religious hatred, and cultural hostility. It's why people of Jewish origin can be anti-Semitic, hating Mm. not themselves, but Jews. Mm -hmm. How do you know when it's time to throw in the towel? It's never time to give up the fight against anti-Semitism because the hatred that is first aimed at Jews never stops there. Those who threaten Jews pose a danger to broader society as well. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? The best advice I've ever been given is to be grateful.
0: Who gave you that advice? I think I read it. You read it? Okay. What advice would you give your 10-year-old self if you could go back in time and talk to him?
1: Learn to live in the moment, be real and truthful.
0: Is that because there was a specific time that you weren't real or truthful? (laughs) Up until very recently. (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) No, let's
1: go back. Maybe not very recently, but... Uh, and I don't know that my ten-year-old self <laughs> would have <laughs> taken that to heart, perhaps. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think living in the moment, being real, being truthful—it's something we ought to uh, share again with our children and nieces and nephews, et cetera. And I think that's we'll a l- live by example. I think
0: that's a lifelong struggle for yeah. people is to yeah. live truthfully. And last question: What do you want to be remembered for?
1: I want to be remembered as a loving husband, father, and friend, and as a decent human being. Great.
0: Stephen Shipper, Artistic Director of Royal Manitoba Theater Center, for a few more days at least. Thank you for your time and uh, really appreciate you being
1: here. My pleasure, Nolan. Because no less a great leader than Martin Luther King said, anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism, we ought to live by that truth and never demonize, delegitimize, or hold Israel to a different standard than any other country.
0: Thank you again to Stephen Shipper for being on Because and Effect, for sharing uh, about his causes and his dedication to theatre and the arts over the years. A lot of his work is all about how theatre can bring people together and, and bridge bridge gaps in society and anti-semitism is the exact opposite of that so it's really it goes to show that people are very diverse in the causes they care about and that's hopefully what this show is all about it's all about the causes people care about thank you for listening to the show today a podcast does not exist without listeners without subscribers so thank you for subscribing thank you for leaving the reviews on itunes and sharing uh, the podcast with your family and friends it helps us out tremendously All music on the Because and Effect podcast was composed and produced by Trenton Burton. You can check out his website at trentonburton.com. That's T-R-E-N-T-O-N-B-U-R-T-O-N.com. Because and Effect is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation, with special thanks to Robert Zirk and Sonny Promolo for production assistance. I'm Nolan Bicknell. You can follow me at Nolan Bicknell on social media, and you can follow the Winnipeg Foundation at WPGFDN as well. Thanks again for listening. Uh, Have a great day or a great evening, and remember, being a good person is not optional. Bye-bye.